Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I'm so excited to be with you on this uh, beautiful August Sunday morning. Isn't it nice? You know, uh, we weren't, it turns out we weren't promised today. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we, we're not promised tomorrow. And uh, God saw fit to give us this day, and he gave us a beauty. And so the fact that he gave us the gift of today is awesome. And the fact that he made it so beautiful, that's just gratuitous. I mean, that's just over the top, showing just how good uh, he is to us. And uh, if uh, God willing, I'll be here again next Sunday, August 11th, and always look forward to the chance to be here. If you've never been to City on a Hill Community Church, let me say to you, welcome on behalf of the pastors, Joe, Linda, and James Lecce. My name is Tom Richter, and while I'm not on staff here, I'm a longtime friend of City on a Hill Church. My church is in Jamaica, Queens, where I pastor in the evening time. So it's not like I'm abandoning my sheep right now. They're fine doing whatever it is they're doing on Sunday morning, sleeping in, go figure. And they'll, uh, uh, I'll be with them tonight. If you've been at City on a Hill for a while, then you know that Pastor Linda has really been sharing from her heart what she feels God's word for this church has been. I'm talking about the eternal purposes of God series. And uh, uh, she asked me a couple weeks ago, she said, you know, you may want to listen to that. And I got to say, your, your website's fantastic because if you ever miss a sermon, you can go on City on a Hill's website and you can grab that media player. That's been a big blessing to me. And yeah, and it's a blessing to a lot of people. And I know that doesn't happen by itself. And that is not, that's something everybody thinks a website should just be like, well, we know so-and-so's cousin, they're a web designer and make it work. And it just becomes like a Microsoft Word that's been vomited out onto a screen. It's terrible. Yours, though, requires a lot of work. Somebody's putting in that work. So to whoever or whomever's behind all that, I don't know. But uh, I know Rachel's had a big part. Whoever does that, you're doing a great job and keep it up because it blesses a lot of people. It blesses me. I said all that to say, I listened to Pastor Linda's message and thought what I want to do today is basically this sermon is going to be like an amen to what she's been saying. And you've heard me allude to some of the things she said about the bookends of the, you know, the, the salvation purposes of God. It's really true. A lot of times when we preach, you get like a little tile of the mosaic. You know what I'm saying? And we look at the tile and we're like, look at how it's golden. Look at how it's shiny. Look at how it's hard and, you know, and glorious. And we give you that tile and you're like, yeah. And you walk out for the week and you're like, this tile's great. But sometimes you step back and you try to do what Pastor Linda did, which is look at how all these tiles fit into the great mosaic of what God is doing. What does God want? A good God wants to dwell with a good people in a good earth forever and ever. You know? And the story from Genesis all the way to Maps, depending on your Bible, the story from Genesis to Revelation is this story, this unfolding redemption history, this salvific purpose, where, as Pastor Linda pointed out, do you remember uh, anybody that was here? If you weren't here, this is going to be confusing, but I promise you'll get right back on the train. Don't worry, we're not going to lose you. Uh, But if you were here, do you remember the bookend slide where it's like, garden, garden that turns into a city, right? Uh, uh, Innocent people, redeemed people who know what it's like to fall and be made new. You remember this over and over? Tree of life, tree of life, because the tree of life is not going to die, it's not going to change, it's the tree of life, right? A river, the healing of the nations over and over. There were rivers that led to these beautiful jewels. There's rivers or streets of gold over and over, right? So she talked about Genesis, then the tabernacle, then the New Testament. And then uh, what I wanted to do today is sort of hone in on that last piece of the, the bookends. 
And I want to talk about, that's why I put the big picture continues. I'm just trying to say amen to what she's been saying and augment that. And I want to focus on those last verses from Revelation 21 and 22. In other words, I want to focus on the the back end of the bookends, the where this story is leading. And I want you to leave here blessed, encouraged, and excited. So turn in your PowerPoint screens to Revelation 21. Good. If you have a Bible, it's good. You can turn there. If you have a Bible on your phone, you can flip there. Just no text messaging. I mean, don't be playing Candy Crush, right? We're focused. Uh, <laughs> you don't know Candy Crush? That's a lot of people who are in church right now, hoping God will help them past level 65 or whatever. You'll understand. Uh, Revelation 21, 1. And uh, I want you to turn there in your Bibles however you can. I also have it on the screen so we can be on the same digital page. But you heard, I mean, at least when I heard Pastor Linda, she said some things over and over. And and she was saying, this is exciting. And you need to be excited about what God has for us. And I thought, it it is exciting when you look at it a certain way. Let me explain what I mean. I'm going to read Revelation 21, like 1 through 4, and then I'll do 22, 1 through 5. These are sort of where we're going, where we're headed, okay? Revelation 21. This is John's vision. It's the end of all things. And he writes... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, For you ocean lovers, I don't think that means literally there won't be an ocean necessarily, but the sea was the place of chaos and the place of death, and so he's saying there's no longer any of that. Um, I saw the holy city, here it is, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We're going to come back to that verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then, he, and then he goes on and describes more of it. And he talks, you know, he gets, the, he gets this tour of the place. And then he comes back in Revelation 22, the next chapter, and continues sort of this big picture of this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, new earth. And then the angel, this is the last chapter in the Bible, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face. That sounds like, and God will be with them. That's the the key phrase we're going to hone in on. And His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them the light, and they will reign forever and ever. We won't need a sun. You know, our biggest sun, a star, and Joe, you know what you were saying, it's perfect. Like the whole idea of star, when he said, let there be light, but in the end, he will be our light. See, I was always told in New York, like, why can't you see the stars in New York City? Uh, Because all the stars are on Broadway, Joe, you're right? But those are man-made stars, aren't they? Those are man-made stars. Anybody that's on the cover of those throwaway gossip rags, guess what? We're not going to be talking about their glory. A lot of those people don't even make it. I'm sorry, man. God bless them. The Kardashians ain't going to make it five more years, right? They're forgotten news. And you and I aren't going to make it. Nobody's going to be talking about me. Unless you become the president, nobody's going to be talking about you five years after your death. 
But it, when you, as, as Linda kept saying, when you hitch your wagon, or what did she say? When you hitch your train to God's glory, let me tell you, you, you become part of God's story. They'll be talking about him forever and ever and ever. And when all these stars fade out, we realize he will be all the light we need. So, uh, tie all this together. I want to make one simple sentence, and here's the deal. This sentence is that I'm about to put up on the screen. This is it. Like, this is what's supposed to excite you. And when you see it, you're supposed to feel amped up inside. As a Christian, you're supposed to be like, man, this is where we're going. My heart is already there. I have set my affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Like, you're supposed to be pumped up. You're supposed to want to clap and jump and shout. And, it, and it's like the point of the sermon today is, well, what, what do you do if... Okay, here we go. Here's the sentence. The whole point of heaven is to be with God, worshiping Him forever. And I don't know if there's one P or two in worshiping, so I just guessed. We're going one. The whole point of heaven is to be with God, worshiping Him forever. That's it. Now, you may be sitting here going, eh, right? You may think, man, I, I yeah. And if you're really pumped up, you've got to ask yourself, are you really pumped up or are you pumped up because you know you're spo- this is church and you're supposed to be pumped up? You know what I mean? Like, if I were in here and I was like, yeah, would it be because I really feel that way or because I'd be like, yeah, it's spiritual to feel this way, right? The whole point of heaven is to be with God worshiping forever. Now, there's two things you can do with this. If that doesn't excite you, if that sentence is not excited, there's two things. And um, I wonder if maybe we're emphasizing the wrong thing. There's two possibilities. One is you should just feel guilty. You should just feel guilty when I'm being excited. Why doesn't that excite you? It's full of archaic words, right? Why doesn't that get you pumped up, right? That's one possibility. The other is each of these words is so laden with the, with each of these words is so often misunderstood that we don't have a clear vision of what that sentence really means. That's all, right? See, uh, I've said at length that there's this problem. The, the problem, and uh, uh, I refer you to uh, uh, the series that James preached on heaven. Or if you want to know more about heaven, I also refer you to the guy who wrote the book on heaven is Randy Alcorn. And he wrote a book called Heaven. Right? And so if you can remember that title, uh, uh, I encourage you to check that out. And a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm not really a reader. That's okay. Randy Alcorn's not really written for readers. Because uh, what I mean by that is it's just like, a, like the back half of the book is just like three-page chapters answering all the questions you've ever had. So you can be like, I wonder, what I really want to know is my dog Fluffy going to be in heaven? But, you know, I, it's not spiritual to ask that, but that's what I really want to know. You can just go to Randy Alcorn and he's like, will my pet be in heaven? And he has a chapter on that. And you can just read it and be like, okay, cool, I got what I need from that book. You, you know what I'm saying? I encourage you to read the whole thing, but if what you're really looking for, um, uh, you, you can find there. So anyway, I recommend that book to you. Back, back to my point. The whole notion of heaven creates a problem for a lot of Christians because when I say heaven means you will behold God forever and you will worship Him forever, if you are stuck, if your mentality has still not been freed, no matter what Pastor James is trying to do and Pastor Linda with their sermon, if we're still stuck in a heaven means I will float up to a cloud and play a harp forever mentality of heaven, then this is going to sound so boring to you. And all I want to say is I'm with you. I'm with you. I remember being a kid growing up in West Kentucky and, and growing up in these small country churches and the preacher would go on and on forever. I never do that. Right? But I remember being a little boy sitting there and, and the preacher's going on and on, on, nauseam. And finally he says, and he's preaching on heaven, he says, heaven's going to be just, oh, it's going to be glorious. I can't wait for heaven. And you're like, uh-huh. and he says, I can't wait. And then he says, heaven is going to be one eternally long worship service. And I remember going, what? I'm looking at my best friend Jeff, like, do you hear that? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How, how do we, like, how do we decommit? Like, right? 
Like, that does not sound like heaven to me, right? That sounds like the other place. I don't want to go there, and I'm, right? And Jeff was imaginary. So you know how bored I was. I'm looking around. They never see that coming. I'm looking around going, help me, please understand this, right? As I began to understand heaven, that's one thing. The whole point of heaven, that first word, as I began, I realized there is a lot of misunderstanding here. And part of the reason I'm not excited, and, and worst of all, is as Christians, we're good at making other people feel guilty. Like, well, you, you should feel guilty. It's not spiritual to not want to go through an eternally long worship service, right? And you, we, we sort of feel guilty. We walk out of here going, going, man, I should want that. I believe we have misunderstood this sentence to the point where this stuff no longer excites us. And so when people ask me, so would you say the whole point of heaven is to be with God, worshiping him forever? It's like, I want to say yes, but I want to know that they understand what those words mean. Like, imagine a scene where somebody finds out I'm a pastor and they come up to me on the street and they go, hey, I want to know about heaven. Would you agree to this statement? The whole point of heaven is to be with God, worshiping him forever. I would say, depends. It depends on what you mean. Technically, I agree with that. But each one of those words needs an explanation. So I would say it depends on what you mean by whole. It depends on what you mean. The whole point. It depends on what you mean by heaven. It depends on what you mean by with God. It depends on what you mean by what. I would say I would agree to this. I would agree with that. The whole point, based on the following footnote, of heaven, if you'll allow me to explain, is to be with God, if you'll grant me a footnote, worshiping, depending on what you mean by worship, Forever. Yes, I will agree with that, right? And so that's what I want to do today. I believe if that sentence doesn't excite us, it can only be because we don't yet have the correct, robust, biblical understanding of these terms and what it will mean to see God or possibly all of the above. So what I, I simply just, I'm going to take that sentence. Like, that's the whole sermon. If you fall asleep, you just come back to that. You wake up, we'll be right back there. You're like, see, I got it. Okay, that's it. Uh, I'll just, let's just go one at a time here. Let's start with, uh, let's start with that one. I've already alluded to it. I do not believe that heaven is floating up onto a cloud. We do not become angels. When, when, when we die, we do not become angels. I'm sorry, Clarence. You don't get your wings. You don't, I'm, no, it doesn't matter if a bell rings. You don't become an angel. You don't float up into a cloud. And there's this crazy notion that is so pervasive in the church that I know some Christians that, that honestly, because they can't imagine, even though the Bible says we can't imagine what God's prepared, but the Spirit's revealed it to us, there are some Christians, they're honestly scared to die and go to heaven because they're so worried about, what well, I won't know anybody and I'll be up on a cloud all alone. And they're strumming a harp going, I really don't like harp music. I'm alone on this cloud thinking, I wish I'd brought a magazine, right? Like, help me out. And who can blame them? Who can blame them? And the, the, if, if the heaven that you understand involves floating up, then I want you to understand. Uh, uh, and, and maybe, again, I, I don't want to re-preach what James has gone through with that series on heaven. I don't want to just I mean, redo what you could read in Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. But you've got to get a notion on this. First of all, heaven is a real physical place. They call it the new heaven and the new earth. You know why it's real and physical and substantial? There's going to be like stuff there because you're going to have a resurrected body. Okay, You're going to have a real substantial body. You're not going to be Casper, the friendly angel heaven dweller. Okay, You're going to have a body. You're going to be able to eat food. You're going to be able to do stuff. C.S. Lewis says, that because we always think of heaven as ethereal and floaty and, and, and charming and all that, right? So uh, 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 what, uh, you, if you don't, I know that's weird, but there was an old commercial. Anybody just understood what I meant and was with me? Yeah, you guys are just as weird as I am. Okay, good. Uh, but it's going to be substantial. C.S. Lewis says in the book, The Great Divorce, best book with the worst title ever written. Amen? The Great Divorce. I, so many people will not read that because they're like, well, I don't think divorce is great. Or whatever! It has nothing to do. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, just tragic. Greatest book. Anyway, but he says that um, uh, 
our bodies in heaven, they're going to be so substantial. Uh, what he means by that, think of them uh, 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 that uh, uh, when we look back on this earth, we're going to look like little ghosts and shadows on th- these bodies. He says, your earthly body wouldn't even be able to bend a blade of grass in the new earth. You won't even be able to bend the new earth's grass because the, the bodies will be so substantial. There's stuff. And I mean, there's, oh, and, and, and er- everything that you love about this earth, what would make you think, what kind of God do we have that he's like, hey, I made you love like the fall leaves. And they are pretty, aren't they in Long Island? When the fall comes and the leaves just explode with fireworks of color, what kind of God do you think we serve that would say, and that's done, no more? No, 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 no. He's going to take that and imagine what that looks like in the glorified new heaven, new earth. They look explosive now. What do you think they look like there? What do you think the Grand Canyon looks like in the glorified new earth? You like listening to music up here? What do you think these musicians sound like on a glorified guitar? You like poetry here? What do you think poetry sounds like in its glorified form? You like fantasy football here? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I won't. I won't. That, that, okay. Right? But you get what I'm saying? You like sports here? What is sports like when there's... I, okay, I will go there. You know, one of the... One of the funnest times I can remember, and there's these moments in life, and you all have them. Now, for you, it may be a sport. For you, it may be tinkering with your car. For you, it may be, you know, baking a cake or being with people you love. But there are these moments when you're surrounded in this community where you're like, you know what? There's so much darkness in this world. There's so much evil. But for right now, it's like things are good. And I can picture being on some of these August days makes me think of it. But I remember games of flag football. I was never a good athlete in high school, but, you know, coming together just for fun. Now, i got to tell you something. These games that would go on, I just remember looking at my watch going, I wish, I wish it would never end. You know, and maybe last September or two Septembers ago, a bunch of the guys were out and having fun. And here's the thing. I don't remember the score. I really, I don't remember who won. But what I remember was the sense of community and that things are right. And for a brief moment, I think I got to taste something. That's what we're talking about. Now, why would, why would we not expect that there would be that kind of all is right with the world kind of moments in heaven? It's going for eternity. You see? It's a real place. And so that, that's all. I, I just, I'm just trying to, again, divorce everyone from the, the notion that heaven is like harps. And I mean, listen, you... I hate harp music. So if you think I can kick a harp here, imagine how far I can kick a harp with my glorified boot. I'm saying. Sorry if there's any harp lovers. Sort of. Uh, just for the record, the heaven that I'm talking about here is not, um, this may blow your mind, but it shouldn't. Uh, just so you know, the heaven I'm talking about now is not the heaven that is currently in place. Uh, I'll say it again. The heaven that I'm referring to, I'm talking about the new heaven, new earth. It's not the heaven that's here now. The heaven that's here now, you can call it heaven. That's fine. I like to call it current heaven or temporary heaven or paradise. Uh, But what that means is when a believer dies, they go to be with Jesus. We know that because the thief on the cross died who believed. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And when uh, my grandma, who loved the Lord with all her heart, she recently passed. She passed last year. She died. Uh, uh, Her body went into the ground. She, however, is with Jesus. And what's she doing with Jesus right now? She's doing this. Right? And what's Jesus doing? Right? 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 And what's, I mean, St. Paul and Peter and all the saints who have gone before, what are they doing? Oh, yeah, you ready? Yeah, you ready? You ready? Is it time? Is it time? And what happens? They're waiting for what we're all waiting for. There's going to be this big trumpet. You with me? They're waiting for Jesus to come. And when he comes back, what he sets in motion, whether you're premillennial, postmillennial, all millennial, it doesn't matter. We all agree he's coming back. Okay? 
And when he comes back and blows that trumpet, what happens is my grandma's dead body is going to come up out of that grave and be resurrected like an acorn into an oak tree. I can't imagine, but the potential's there. It's in there. And whether you've been scattered on the ocean or whether you've been cremated, Jesus is going to figure it out, okay? And he's going to pull those parts together and he's going to create for you a resurrected body. And that body is so that for the new heaven and the new earth, it's coming. And when he comes, heaven is going to come. And that sets into motion the new heaven, new earth. That's not what we have right now. What we have right now is this awesome, I mean, it's paradise. You're going to be like, yeah, but it's more like a paradise waiting room. And we're waiting for what? For what John saw. The new heaven, new earth. And it's coming. And it's a substantial place. It's real. It's an earth. Does that make sense? Like you might go out, and some of you love hiking. You could go on a hike and be like, I'll be back in a million years. Why not? So you got eternity. Why not? You could start a football game and be like, let's play for a couple hundred thousand hours. Fine, right? Why not? Why not? You could start a book that you're totally into. And you've had those books. You're like, man, I wish it wouldn't finish. Oh, Katniss Everdeen. So whatever. You, Harry Potter. I, whatever your thing is. Uh, uh, some of you read real books. Uh, but um, you wish, I wish it would never end. That, that's sort of like, why not? Why not start begin learning in a way that would never end? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm sort of doing what I said I wouldn't do. I didn't want to go off again on that. I just want you to be excited for the real heaven that awaits you. And I want you to store up some treasure up there. I mean, give away a car so you have something to drive on the streets of gold, right? It's to me like, I can't afford to give away a car. Well, I think if you share your car as if it truly didn't belong to you, I think that'll count. I, I really do. I think my point is just be generous with what you, whatever you share here on earth, I think it'll be waiting for you as a new, uh, in the new heaven, new earth. I don't know how exactly that works out, but I think God will figure it out. Uh, I plan to share my new car. I got a, a new car. It's a taffeta white Honda Odyssey minivan. So listen, you know I got swag. <laughs> but uh, Jackie and I prayed over that car when we got it. It was a little weird. You're praying over a car, but I thought, let's do it. And our prayer was, God, make us grateful, but don't let this car be an idol. Because we live in Queens. It's going to get scratched. It's probably already scratched. You know what I mean? <laughs> And what can happen is it becomes an idol. And you think, anyway, if I had the old junkie car, I'd be like, yeah, you can share it. You can take it. But now I got this new one. I'm like, oh, mm, that's crazy. If I want to see that car in the new heaven, new earth, and I can't wait to see what a glorified minivan looks like. <laughs> what, what's my job here? If I want to store up that treasure, I got to share it like it belongs to God and not like me. Like, not, it doesn't belong to me. Does that make sense? So in a sense, you all got a new minivan because I'm willing to share it. You see what I'm saying? Um, that, that Heaven. I, just, I, don't, I don't want lame versions of something that I get excited a little bit. If so, if your excitement meter bumped a little bit just then, then the sermon is, is working. If it didn't, that's all right. I got more points. Uh, to be with God. I won't spend as long on these others, but they're important. Uh, to be with God. Meditate with me on chapter 22, verse 4. You ready? They will, in fact, I may have even written it up there. Did I? Is the next slide? Yeah. They, there it is. They will see his face. Now, theologians call this the beatific vision. And that comes from an old Latin derivative. And it just means the happy-making sight. The happy-making sight. You've seen a small, small, tiny human version of the beatific vision. Do you know where you've seen it? I'll tell you. You've seen it at MacArthur Airport in Islip or at JFK. And it's when a soldier is returning from tour of duty and... Uh, his wife and kid that he's never met, you know, because she was pregnant. I'm just building the drama. It's my story. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and standing there with the kid, and that soldier comes back, didn't even know if he was going to live, didn't even know what was going to happen, and he hasn't seen him. It's been a year tour of duty in Iraq, and comes back like that little kid's face. 
the wife's face, that guy's face, you've seen it. Just a teeny tiny bit of the beatific vision. The making happy sight. It's like that guy isn't the fulfillment of everything there is in life, right? But in a way, it's like there's so much joy that comes from this. I can't explain it. I just want to be with them. Excitement meter up a little bit. That's what's going to happen, not with any human, not with any human spouse or loved one, no matter how beautiful that is. That's going to happen with God. <clears throat> we imagine that what we want is like a thousand different things. You know, last week it was like, if I could just get a minivan and a salesman who didn't lie, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I imagine if I could just get some money in the bank. If I, some of you are single, if I could just get married. Uh, some of you are married. If we could just have children, I get it. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with some of those desires. If I could just get that grade I want, if I could just get promoted, right? But what we really want is actually God. God is all we want. Our longing for heaven is actually a longing for God. And even when we pursue sin, what we're doing is we're chasing after the one thing that will make us happy. We're just looking for it in a place we'll never find it. We're looking for God even when we're out sinning because we're looking to find that excitement, but we're looking for it in lust. We're looking to find that security, but we're looking for it in money. Money, you can save me. You can be there. When my kid needs medicine, it's money. It's you that's going to pay that copay. And so money, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll worship you money. Why? Because money, you're a good savior. See? That's what we do when we make money an idol. When it's not like we're out like worshiping money, like bowing down to a stack of $100 bills. It's that we're counting on money to do what God can only do. And what we're always looking for is God. G.K. Chesterton says, the man who's knocking on the door of the brothel is knocking for God. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Every heavenly joy will flow from this one joy that he will be with us. The very best thing God could give you is himself. Because it's from him that all other joys follow. Uh, my uh, theologian of choice, I mean, the guy that I look to, and I just think gets it right time and time again. And one of the reasons he gets it right is he says, I may not be right about this stuff, so here's what my opponent thinks, and here's a really good way of explaining his case. I mean, you don't see a lot of people with this kind of humility that are this smart. And I've even seen him on stage where he was like, one guy gave his case, and they said, what do you think, Dr. Grudem? And Grudem's like, I, now I think what he thinks. He just changed my mind. Like, right there in front of all these people. Because he's like, he showed me from the Bible. I'm not, this isn't personal. I'm just trying to seek God. Anyway, so a little, you know, there's my little, like, uh, praise for Wayne Grudem. But if you ever get a hold of Wayne Grudem and his systematic theology, I think he's a guy you can really trust. Anyway, this is what he writes. More important than all the physical beauty of the heavenly city, more important than the fellowship we will enjoy eternally with all God's people from all nations and all periods in history, more important than our freedom from pain and suffering, and more important than reigning over God's kingdom, more important by far than any of these will be the fact that we will be in the presence of God and enjoying unhindered fellowship with him. Maybe to be told you will see God's face may not be at the top of your wish list, but if you knew what it entailed, it would be. Now, this sounds blasphemous to a Muslim person, right? Uh, 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 this sounds blasphemous to an Old Testament Jewish person who says, no, 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 the glory of God fills the temple to look upon God is to die. In the New Testament, the glory of God surrounded the shepherds. They were filled with fear. John, right here, what does he do? He falls prostrate before just an angel, and the angel's like, get up, right? And yet, Revelation 22, 4, they shall see his face. Again, Grudem. When we look into the face of our Lord and he looks back at us with infinite love, we will see in him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in all the universe. In the face of God, we'll see the fulfillment of all the longing we have ever had to know, we have ever had 
to know perfect love, peace, and joy, and to know truth, justice, holiness, wisdom, goodness, and power, glory, and beauty. As we gaze into the face of our Lord, we will know more fully than ever before that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's Wayne Grudem. Be fulfilled the longing of our hearts that we've cried out. Uh, God says he himself will be with him in Revelation 21.3. That's important because the word himself, God won't send a delegate. Uh, uh, Stephen Lawson says it this way recently. Throughout all eternity, we'll never be separated from direct, unhindered fellowship with God. Long before Stephen Lawson, Jonathan Edwards said it this way. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. (laughs) That was my uh, Jonathan Edwards voice. And the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than... And he lists all these. I will spare you, but he talks about joys and family and children and marriage. He lists all these joys, and Edwards says this. And Edwards was known for being so angry and so, you know, Edwards is the guy who wrote the uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon. So when you hear him say this, you're like, dude, if this can get that grumpy Gus excited, listen to this. He says, these are but, uh, uh," so he lists all the joys. To be with God, to fully enjoy God, better than family, better than children. He says, these, these these marriage, family, these secondary joys, these are but scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the fountain. These are but drops. God is the ocean. And way before Jonathan Edwards, John Milton said it this way. Thy presence makes our paradise, Lord, and where thou art is heaven. And long before any of them, the psalmist says it this way in Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I know what you're thinking, but beholding him, won't that grow? I don't know. Like a little boring? I mean, really, to be with God, to see his face, can it really be that glorious? I already, already, already spent one of my analogies, the one about the soldier coming home and trying to undo that doubt. But you may still have some objection. Like, really, just like staring at God, looking at his face, won't that be boring? Think of it this way. It's not just staring at his face. It's that he'll be with us. What if I told you you could spend... Well, who's your favorite musician? Everybody in here, right now. If you think Celine Dion, there's the door. Everybody else, if you're just like... If you're just, you know, you're with us and you got some good rock and roll in your mind, what would it be like to sit down... And you're, you're, you're an aspiring guitar player, right? And you get to sit down with Phil Keggy or whoever your guitar legend is or whatever. Can you imagine sitting down with them and I told you you get one hour with them? At the end of that hour, you'd be like, oh man, I wish I could get like a second hour. You see? Now, who made Phil Keggy? You know what I'm saying? Like, who gave him the skill to do that? Uh, w- would you say it's boring to sit down if uh, you could have an hour with... Uh, oh, James, what if you got an hour with C.S. Lewis? For real, right? So who made C.S. Lewis? You, right? This is what I mean. It's not going to be boring. Now, those may have been very boring to you. You're like, I hate music and I hate books and Narnians and all that stuff, right? <laughs> That's fine. I don't know what your thing is, but imagine sitting down an hour with that person. You'd be delighted. Imagine being sitting down with the... Those are just drops. He is the ocean. It's not going to be boring. The one who thought up music, how could spending an hour with the God who created the duckbill platypus be boring? <laughs> he thought of that. All right, I hope you're getting excited. If not, just here we go. The whole point of heaven. Now, see, that's, that's important too because some people are like, the whole point of heaven is just to be with God, worshiping forever. And they say that almost as if they're like advertising their spirituality. All I care about is seeing God and being with God. As if the fact that there are streets of gold and mountains to explore and adventures to go on and sports to be played, it's not even spiritual if you want any of that. Streets of gold, that sounds pretty awesome. Well, no, it's not spiritual. All you should want, listen, listen, listen. It's not wrong to say you long for heaven. There is not a competition between heaven and Christ. It's okay if your heart desires both. 
Here's what I mean. Uh, some people would say uh, uh, that, like, like, you know, all I want is to be with Jesus. And they make other people feel guilty because they're also looking forward to be, being reunited with other believers. And they say, well, you shouldn't worry about being reunited with those people you love. I mean, this is Jesus, and that should fulfill everything. It does, but come on. Like, it's not wrong to look forward to that. Some people, I've even heard this. I don't need pearly gates or jasper walls or streets of gold. I just want to be with Jesus, so just give me a shack as long as I'm with Jesus. And that sounds spiritual. And those people that say that are probably really awesome people. And that'd be cool if God said all you got was a shack. Like, if God said all you get is a shack, then you're right. We need to be... But he's the one who said that we have so much more to look forward to. I didn't come up with it. And I'm not saying put those things above Christ. Well, here's what I mean. Um, It's not wrong to anticipate with gratitude secondary joys. It happens all the time. Suppose you're really sick. And your friend, not your wife, you know, because they got it, right? Your your husband and wife, you got to take care of them, right? Vows and all that. But your friend who doesn't have to come over there and risk getting sick too, right? Because you're sick with something that's horribly contagious, uh, by, by the way. And uh, your friend comes over there and has made for you a meal, right? Chicken noodle soup and all the stuff you need to mend and the Gatorade and all that stuff they give you, right? Uh, it's a gl- gluten-free. The friend brings it all over there. And I told you, what brought you joy in that moment? The friend or the meal? You would say, well, like both. And I would say, Pfft. You don't love your friend. All you care about is that meal. The only proper response is to push away the meal and say, this is garbage. All I need is you. This is a mere secondary joy. So you're out of your mind. Why? Well, of course, without your friend, you realize there would be no meal. And even without the meal, of course, you would still treasure the friendship and the visit. But would you say that, and you would say the friend is the higher pleasure and the source of the secondary pleasure, that's all. But you don't have to feel guilty for enjoying the meal. That that, that sentence is, your friend is the higher pleasure, that makes the meal the secondary joy, but you don't have to feel guilty for looking forward to the meal. You see? Uh, The new earth will be full of these secondary joys. There will be flowers that are beautiful. You know why? Because God is beautiful. Rainbows are stunning because God is stunning. Study, in its best form, is rewarding because God is rewarding. Sports are fun because God is fun. Work is fulfilling because God is fulfilling. Puppies are delightful because God is delightful. He is the source of all these things. Now, on this current earth, what happens is these secondary joys become idols. And that's why we're rightfully skeptical. But not so in the new earth. Think about it. A musician can just love music without worrying how it'll all be twisted into pride and ego and record deals and all that. They can just do it for the love of music. A, uh, A chef can make an amazing meal and not worry that it's going to be perverted into gluttony or, or something. He can just enjoy, he or she can just enjoy the making of the meal. I think about a guy like Tim Tebow. I really feel sorry for him. Uh, I really think somewhere in there is just a dude who loves to play football. And one day he'll be able to do that without the endorsements and the money and the power and the politics and everything else, you know? Um, and that, glorifying God and enjoying him forever in every single thing we do, that is worship. And that leads me to my final asterisk. Worship. If your understanding of worship is strictly limited to a church service, you've got to upgrade your definition of worship to get it aligned with the Bible. That's worship. Picture Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. And Eve, imagine this scenario, however ridiculous. Imagine Eve says to Adam, Isn't the garden of Eden magnificent, honey? The sun feels wonderful on my face. The blue sky is gorgeous. These animals are a delight. And you should try the mango. It's delish. Can you imagine Adam responding, Woman! 
Your focus is all wrong. You shouldn't think about beauty, refreshment, and mouth-watering fruit. All you should think about is God. You say, that's crazy. Adam would never say that to Eve. Why? Because he knew the same thing. In thinking about all these things, Eve was thinking about God. And if anyone tries to make you feel guilty because one eternally long church service doesn't excite you, just look at them and try to make the case that, ironically, one eternally long church service, technically, the one thing that won't be in the new heaven, new earth, is a weekly scheduled church service. Why? There won't be any. Why do we meet weekly at a set time? It's where we as the church gather, pulling away from the world to declare praises, carry out his ordinances, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, we won't have to pull away and gather because the whole place will be the church. There's no world from which to pull away. The new earth is filled with believers. And there won't be any baptism. Why? Baptism is a picture of salvation. When we have the Savior himself, we don't need to take... What about the Lord's Supper? Look, the Lord's Supper is a supper of remembrance. And he says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Once he comes, you don't have to remember. You can just be like, hey. Right? So don't, you know, if you're like, man, I don't want it to be one eternally long church service. I, want, I, don't, I don't want to say that's bad. I just want to say upgrade your definition of worship a little. Doesn't it say we will worship him? Yes, but our whole life will at last be worshiped. As we work, we will work and create for his glory. I can't wait to hear some of these musicians that can write songs. What are they going to write in the new heaven, new earth? As we study and learn new things, it'll be for his glory. And with all that bubbling up, of course, there's going to be times where it's like, I'm sorry, we just got to start another worship service. Let's just all kneel and sing before the king. It's going to happen naturally. That's fine. But it's not going to be in any way separate from our whole life, which will be sort of 24-7. Well, that's weird because eternity uh, worship to sit his feet and worship. We're going to close with the uh, Lord's Supper. And before we do, I thought this, uh, I found this story, and I think it was in Randy Alcorn's book, but it's an old story. 1871. 1871. A guy named Father J. Boudreaux. I don't know who he is, but he was a, a, presumably a, like a French priest. And he tells this parable, and I'll leave you with this. Uh, he tells of a kind hearted king who finds a blind, destitute orphan boy one day while hunting in a forest. And the king takes the boy to his palace, adopts him as his son, and provides for his care. He sees that the boy receives the finest education. The boy is extremely grateful, and he loves this new king, his new father, with all his heart. Uh, as he grows up, he's treated to the best education, all that the palace has. And when he turns 20, in all the land, they find this surgeon who says he can perform an operation on his eyes. And so when the boy turns 20 years old, having been raised as a little boy in the king's house, he performs this operation. A couple days go by. They don't know if it's successful. And finally, they remove the bandages. And at 20 years old, sure enough, for the first time, the kid can see. This boy... Once a starving orphan has for some years been a royal prince at home in the king's palace. But something wonderful has happened. Something far greater than the magnificent food, the gardens, the libraries, the music, the wonders of the palace. The boy is finally able to see the father he loves. That's the beatific vision. Boudreaux writes, and I, 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 don't, I hate reading stuff to you, but I can't. This is, this is what I've got to do. Boudreaux writes, I will not attempt to describe the joys that will overwhelm the soul of this fortunate young man when he first sees that king of whose manly beauty, goodness, power, and magnificence he's heard so much. 
nor will I attempt to describe the other joys which fill his soul when he beholds his own personal beauty and the magnificence of this princely garments whereof he'd also only heard so much heretofore. Much less will I attempt to picture his exquisite and unspeakable happiness when he sees himself adopted into the royal family, honored and loved by all together with all the pleasures of life within the boy's reach. All of this together I take as the beatific vision. This vision of God has a transforming power, he says, because thus the soul, because the soul only sees God as he is, is filled to overflowing with all knowledge. The soul becomes beautiful with the beauty of God, rich with God's wealth, holy with God's holiness, and happy with God's own inutterable happiness. That's it. I want us to be excited about the prospect of seeing his face. And I, I, I don't want anybody to leave here guilty when we hear Pastor Linda or Pastor me or any of the pastors say, look, this is where we're going. This is the great salvation history. I want our hearts, in a small way, I want our hearts to sort of be already there, longing for that day, working for that day. And I think that'll change the way we work every day in the here and now. Let us pray in preparation for the Lord's table. Ushers, while I pray, feel free to uh, get in your places so you can lead the people in a reverent way. Father... I thank you that you have not only given us your word, but you have preserved it perfectly for us so that the word is just as reliable now as when it was written. And I thank you, Father, that what, that vision you gave John is a vision for us. It's our future, the new heaven and the new earth. And we long for that day. But until that day comes, thanks for not leaving us hanging. Thanks for not just sort of leaving us on our own to do our best. You've given us these helps such as baptism and the Lord's Supper. Thank you for this reminder that we're about to partake. Thank you for this supper of remembrance that helps us on this journey until that day we see your face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Drink in remembrance of me. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we continue playing this, remember I'm reminded of the book uh, Paradise Lost. Today you heard about Paradise Now. You know, exercise your belief system eternal purpose. It has to be exercised. You have to exercise your thinking, your self-talk, all of the stuff that is intellectual. Makes sense intellectually. But we're not talking about just the intellect. We're talking about the Spirit of God comes down and you find paradise. Now, you can comprehend it. You can take it with you every day as long as you're breathing. And you understand that there's an eternity looking forward to where you're going. That's powerful in the name of Jesus. So don't get lost this week. Stay found in Him. All right, be blessed. We have coffee outside. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.